I coach people to sleep anywhere, anytime, on anything, in any place. Hanging off the side of a cliff, in the middle of a desert, whatever it might be, is you can sleep anywhere. I'd love to start with um, what got you into sleep, Nick? Huh. It's um, a big question, try and keep it uh, short. Um, I love sports as a teenager, tried to get into it professionally, any sport I possibly could. Had a little bit of a spell as a aspiring uh, golfer or in cricketer and footballer. Um, but then I got married and uh, started a young family. And to pay the mortgage, uh, I got a proper job uh, with a company called Slumberland, who basically sold comfort products, you know, mattresses, pillows, things like that. Uh, and I was a sales representative. So I was literally just traveling around, you know, selling products to retailers. Um, had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. Um, but after a short period of time, just a few years, I ended up as their international sales and marketing director. Uh-huh. I think um, just had a little something about me that thought, you know, the job I was being asked to do, it could be done better or differently, uh, more effectively. So... That's how I fell into the sleep industry. I was simply selling products. Um, But as the international sales and marketing director of a big brand, they had licensees all over the world. Um, So I did a lot of traveling, a lot of investigating sleep, because that's the correlation with products. Um, Instigated a few clinical trials with some professors of sleep in universities. we didn't have a sleep council in the UK. There was no organization representing sleep. Uh, so I set one up with a couple of partners within the industry. And I was the chairman of that sleep council for a while. And then literally, you know, I think all the time that I've been involved um, and listened and learned about the importance of sleep and everything else, everybody I'd met, there was no definitive approach. You know, it was sort of like, go to bed, get your eight hours, see you in the morning type of thing. And uh, we're talking over two decades ago now, guys. And um, so probably a little bit of a midlife crisis. thought I'd go off and do something completely different. Um, A few little strange things happened because my UK office was in Oldham, Manchester, in the northwest of England. Um, I got asked because we were a big you know, employer in the area to sponsor the local football club's uh, kit. So I just thought, okay, we'll do that because a lot of the workforce in the factory were supporters of the local football team. Uh, So they had their company name on the front of the shirt. And that was a bit weird back in those days because, you know, sponsorship of shirts is very prominent and, um, varied these days but back then it wasn't so to have a sort of sleeping company on a football shirt created a bit of media interest and the what the big local team to my office was manchester united and i went along to some football events because i wrote the checkout for the sponsorship i happened to strike up a little bit of a relationship with alex ferguson then um, because the club that we were sponsoring was like a breeding ground for Manchester United players in those days. Um, 
And that sort of, he was intrigued uh, because my sort of narrative, my dialogue about sleep was different. You know, what I'd learned, things I'd put together in my head. But uh, whilst they're all sleepers in the football club, like every human being, uh, we looked at it from a recovery aspect. And the recovery aspect was something they'd not looked at at all back then, like a lot of other things. So we started some dialogue and that led to doing some little workshops, creating the first nap room for players in between training sessions to looking at the physical aspects of sleep as far as injuries and protecting the postural care and things like that. And it happened to be uh, the class of 92, as they're referred to, which was the Beckhams, the Skulls, uh, the Butts, the Ryan Geeks, and the Neverball. Yeah. And um, yeah. they all played for the England squad, the national squad. So they started to talk to the coaches uh, of the national squad about this strange guy who comes in and talks to us about sleep and stuff. <laughs> so... The physio at the time for the England squad was a guy called Gary Lewin. He was also the physio for Arsenal Football Club. And he got in touch along with a good friend of mine, Andy Oldno, who was the sponsorship commercial manager for the FA. And um, he just basically was intrigued by what I was doing. And right at that same moment in time, a manager arrived, a French guy called Arsene Wenger, arrived at Arsenal Football Club and had a completely different view about football, sport and the athletes and the players. So they got me in to talk to the whole squad. And that was a multicultural squad. You know, lots yeah. of different players from different parts of the world. So suddenly I woke up one morning and, you know, back then without Twitter and Instagram, the press simply said, there's somebody talking to footballers about sleep. Uh, they know coaches in football. So they said, you know, they've got a sleep coach, which is all a bit tongue-in-cheek. You know, it was a bit of a giggle. You know, what on earth is this guy doing? So that's when I suddenly realised I was a sleep coach <laughs> in sports. I suddenly had to try and put my, you know, my dialogue around sleep together to be able to communicate it onto elite players and just change their perspective on it. And here we are today, you know, so two decades later, it's been British cycling, Team Sky, we do uh, women's sports, rugby, you name it, winter sports, equestrian riders, you know, professional poker wow. players, you know, esports. Mm -hmm. So it's not... Poker as well. Okay. Well, it's kind of like... It's a profession, you know, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. they treat themselves as having to be extremely well prepared to, to be able to do what they do professionally. So there's lots yeah. of little things that have changed over the last couple of decades. Paradigm shift, you know, mm. uh, which has really sort of put that emphasis around this lost health pillar called sleep. And uh, that's... It's really just a combination, long answer to your question, a combination of just, I was probably in the wrong place at the right time um, because I had no interest in it and it, I was trying to do something else. I think all the time 
I was challenging what was going on because nobody could actually, even a professor of sleep could actually tell me what to do. You know, it was just yeah. like, well, it's important, Nick. So I think it's just a combination of, you know, skills I learned trying to be a professional athlete, independence, driven, motivation to try and achieve something in your own particular way. Yeah. And along that route, it's just been, it's just got us to this, this particular point. So there's two sides to it now. One is um, the performance aspect, you know, but there's the other side, which is protecting yourself. Um, that sort of mental health and well-being to, to term a very used phrase these days. But those sort of pressures of this 24-7, our desire to grab every moment and push the boundaries and the sort of the globalization of our our own space just like we're talking today <laughs> um on these platforms is is really i think it's just become a really interesting area of we should actually do something about this and see if we can learn more about it and see if we can try and define you know a better approach to it really and that's my journey. Uh, that's honestly amazing. Um, it's interesting because I'm I'm quite a I'm quite a big soccer, um, well, football football fan. And yeah. one thing that you said to me struck quite um, quite interesting to me is um, you're right. Around 20 years ago, 20 to 20 to 25 years ago, two decades ago, um, sports science I feel wasn't as highly regarded as it is today. You have athletes at the highest level in football. You got you know your Ronaldo. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, all those players who are performing yeah. consistently at the highest possible level at the age that they are, 36 to 40 years old, they've obviously invested a lot in themselves, their body and new sports science practices, which is obviously sleep. So yeah. I was reading an article how you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned you were in the wrong place at the right time, how you met just just a regular old chap, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, just one of the greatest managers of all time. And how was that sort of, I guess you mentioned, you know, that it wasn't something that you had initially, you know, seen yourself go down in a direction as a sports science sleep coach. But how how was that different to what you're doing originally in terms of you know working with high level professional athletes? Um, did you fe- did you feel like they were really taking in as to what you were saying in terms of you know the importance of sleep? And um, I read here you um, assisted Gary Pallister with injuries. Um, with his back and, like you mentioned, posture. So, what was it like? Because you're at the you're at the real forefront of what we what we see today as a changing landscape of sports science. So, what was that like navigating through those times, especially with you know Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson, and those athletes? Um, yeah, as you pointed out, I mean, uh, sports science wasn't even a word. You know, it wasn't even an occupation. It wasn't a profession. Um, it was literally. You know, go in and train, eat some reasonable food, uh, and then go home and we'll see you on Saturday. You know, um, <laughs> it was very much about talent, not necessarily physical performance or mental performance, psychology, um, all that sort of stuff that goes on today. So it was very much, if it, I think if it had been any other club where my office was close to, other than Alex Ferguson and Manchester United, that career just wouldn't have started because he he was so open to it. As like, well, you seem to know something about this. Um, I don't know anything about this. 
I'll ask the staff. And if the answer is we don't do anything, then let's do something. Because there must be something in there. And like you mentioned, Gary Pallister, um, that was a physical thing because I was designing and making, um, you know, mattresses and stuff like that. And I always found it interesting that I would design something for somebody who was a certain height, a certain weight and a certain shape. But then the retailers would want to take all of that information away and just make it harder, Nick, and, and just call it, you know, orthopedic. Because that's all we want. That's all the consumer wants. We don't actually want to tell them that that product was designed not for them because they're not that height, weight and shape. So there was a little sort of juxtaposition, but I thought, well, why am I doing this? You know, so the physio said, he came up with this word. His name was Dave Fever at Manchester United. He came up with this word called dehabilitation. So while he was physically trying to put Gary Pallister's back together, when he left the club and went home and slept on stuff and sat on the sofas and drove his Ferrari down the road, you know, <laughs> and is that he was always trying to rehabilitate him. So he was interested. So well, you go and have a look at what he's sleeping on because I can't. I'm the physio of the club. He won't let me in, but he might let you in. So I go in, check a few things out. We change a few things. It didn't solve his back problem, but it made it far more manageable. And it actually saved them around £50,000 at the time, trying to wow. reconvert the coach to help protect his back in between games. And he wouldn't train. So there were significant improvements. But at the same time, I sort of came back and, you know, his wife's sleeping much better now because she sleeps with him. And if mm. he's, you know, messing around and doing all that. Also, there's loads of light in the room. There's no way to create darkness. The temperature was off the charts. You know, it was, I was absolutely sweating in his house. So what I was able to do was see some of the environmental things that we talk about so much with sleeping. And to bring those back into the physio's world and just went, wow, we want to go on this journey. And the, the second bit was Alex Ferguson decided to do what's called double up training uh, for the first time ever in any football club where they train in the morning and in the afternoon, pre-season. Now, when he made that decision, it means the players had to stay at the club and go out training in the afternoon. So we started... They started to look, they had data, you know, when you've got your trackers and your aura rings now and everything else. They started to look at the data of how the players uh, performed in a training session in the morning. Then they stopped, then they went out in the afternoon. And suddenly you started to see that certain bits of data for the same players between the morning and the afternoon was changing. So certain players were, say, sort of eight out of ten in the morning and wouldn't be necessarily considered as good as some of the other players who were maybe 9 or 10 out of 10. Yeah. But in the afternoon, it shifted the other way around. So what's causing that? You know, a question. What's causing that? It could be the pitch, it could be the weather, it could be all sorts of things. Or what they ate for lunch, you know? And um, I just said, I've come across a thing called a chronotype. And the chronotype is a little genetic twist, and it means an owl or a lark, a morning person or a nighttime person. So maybe some of these players 
are those chronotypes, in which case they would be more alert and aware in the afternoon than they would be in the morning and vice versa. Really interesting stuff. So we created a nap room, cleared out one of the offices at the training ground, put some lounges in there and told the players that once they've had their lunch, just go and have a lie down. Don't even try and sleep. Just lounge there, listen to some music and just do nothing for half an hour. Right? Now, he had so much influence over the players, they just did it. Right? No questions asked. But something completely unheard of, never mind in the world, never mind in a football club with a bunch of young players, no fear and all that sort of stuff. But then what happened is we were able to identify that Alex Ferguson was a morning chronotype. The two coaches next to him were morning chronotypes. The physio was a morning chronotype. Those five players were morning chronotypes. The other five players were nighttime chronotypes. You know, the kit man was a nighttime chronotype. The lady who made the tea was a nighttime chronotype. So we were able to establish this mix. And then suddenly you could make subtle tweaks as to what you're doing at certain points in training sessions. And so it's kind of like that. You know, I was aware of something. Did it have any effect on sleep? Um, I didn't really know. But it seemed to make some sense because everybody talks about it. So we put the two things together and suddenly we've got some significant advantages going on within the whole concept of what recovery is about. And you mentioned Arsene Wenger. He was so into these marginal gains, this, this hmm. you know, what you eat, what you drink, take your shoes yeah. off before you come in the training ground. There was all these, so it all sort of, like a sort of strange jigsaw puzzle started to come together and we stopped talking about sleep. We started talking about human recovery and performance and seeing how we could change the way that the players understood what it was about. And, and that really sort of it brought things together. And then, you know, as, as the technology sort of came along and they started to change the habits. So the first I, I was asked to do a little workshop at Manchester United in the early days. Uh, just go into the players' lounge and sit there and we'll tell all the players they can come and talk to you. Only one player came to me. His name was Ryan Giggs. Yeah. And he was fascinated by things away from the sport, like meditation, yoga, all this sort of stuff. And, and so I got involved with him. And he... <laughs> He could still play Premiership football now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the David Beckhams, and like you say, the Ronaldos and people like that. They've really, they've really shown that if you, if you get very early on, it's commonplace today. Not yeah. everywhere, but it's more commonplace. But that's really, it was, you know, when you look at everybody talking about sleep now, they talk about cycles, they talk about chronotypes, they talk about, you know, all these sort of things now. But back then completely crazy um and a lot of people within the club would just go that's nuts you know that is a complete waste of time but the data started to prove otherwise and that's really how that sort of came about you know? that's so cool Nick. there's so many different sort of um, routes i could go down i'm so fascinated but talking about prototypes so I'm I'm pretty sure I'm a night chronotype. Knowing that, what should I do to change sort of the way I sort of 
do my day because um you know as a business owner you want to wake up early if i want to work with people from the states that means i have to you know work the early hours and it sucks as a night chromatype and my sleep scores are really bad yeah i think that it's it's a little bit like you know sort of back then soccer football it was it was three o'clock on a saturday afternoon and maybe maybe the odd game in the week depending on where you are but then suddenly it's maybe two or three games a week. Then suddenly it's 12.30 kickoffs and 5.45 and 8 o'clock. And everything starts, starts to shift. So that really exaggerates that characteristic, which you will find. So when you look at it, there's certain things which is related to the natural circadian rhythms uh, externally of our planet, our own internal circadian rhythms, that little genetic twist, it's basically about a relationship with light and a, a hormone called serotonin and melatonin. And basically, you can't just ignore it or camouflage it or just override it, you know, with doing things that keep you stimulated, which is the bad place to go. You just understand that within that 24-hour process, your natural chronotype means that you need help in the morning with light, a specific type of light, daylight, blue light, the energy wave to create serotonin, to get you started. You also need to understand as you wander through the day, there'll be little slump periods, right, which you can override, like midday and late afternoon, right, which is natural sleeping periods for humans. Then you also know that you're going to be quite creative and lively at a time when everybody else should be asleep. Now, that means you're already creating a worry about you're not going to get enough sleep because you've got to wake up with all the AMs. So I think one thing that you would do is start a movement to go, nighttime chronotypes should rule because everybody would benefit because we'd start our days in the morning a little bit later. Gives all the, because most of the, I think when you, whenever I do any sort of, not sort of like clinical research, but if I'm talking to like hundreds and hundreds of people over those decades all the time, and you ask everybody like, put your hand up if you're one of these, or put your hand up. I think there's a lot more nighttime chronotypes on this planet than there are morning chronotypes. But we all live in a morning world. So, you, you would just adopt what's called a polyphasic sleep approach. It's not something made up uh, up until electric light came along to our planet, which is not that long ago. Um, we always slept in what's called a polyphasic manner, not monophasic in one block at night. So there's a natural way of getting your recovery, but in a multiphasic way, right? either twice a day, three times a day, or multiphasically. And that was one of the things that I started to apply to extreme athletes or as soccer started to change and, and the players were getting home at three o'clock in the morning after a coach or a plane. You know? And it's just like, well, you can't just go for your eight hours in one block. One, it's not natural. B, we're putting it under too much pressure and it creates anxiety and stress, which is what sleep definitely doesn't want because worrying about it is the biggest disruptor. So you can actually sleep, you can actually recover more 
then you're sort of eight hours a night, which is disturbed and you're not getting the quality from it. You can actually get more recovery, more benefits from that recovery by adopting a polyphasic approach. And that's where, for someone like you, um, a late afternoon, what we, what I, what I term uh, a controlled recovery period, a CRP, uh, which I can elaborate on if you want. But it's a, a little thirty-minute period. Um, people talk about naps uh, in a in a negative way, which is right because a nap is your brain taking over because you've got an undefined approach. A controlled recovery period is something that you apply every day. It's for you. It's a mental vacant mind space. It gives your brain the opportunity to give you some recovery if it wants to. And it also protects phase three of your 24 hours, you know, sunrise, midday, sunset, midnight, is it protects that third phase, which you're going into and becoming more active. So it gives you a little sort of recovery period before you start that phase to protect you when you go on later. So you might look at something, say, like four cycles at night, four 90-minute cycles. Sorry, I'm just chucking that in, but I'll explain it. Four 90-minute cycles, which is six hours, a little shorter-type block with an extra 30-minute cycle late afternoon. So you'd be getting your five cycles, four nocturnally, one little one there, lots of other little tiny couple-of-minute breaks all the way through, almost subconsciously doing them. And so you'd be on a five cycle routine, which creates, you know, five 90 minute cycles to 7.5 hours. There's your rate, but you're actually getting it in a slightly different way. Wow, that's super cool. So you recommend doing like a six to seven hour sleep at night and then doing like a 30 minute nap roughly around midday? Midday or late afternoon. Right? Mm. This uh, when you actually you know just tap it in your browser, you know polyphasic sleeping patterns. You'll see the little graphics. I didn't make it up, and it shows you that uh, you know you can sleep nocturnally, but you can also sleep midday. It's a natural slump, siesta time, you know. And late afternoon is another one because we've been up since the morning into the midday, moving towards sunset. So there's a little gap there. That's called triphasic. And the multiphasic approach is basically, it's almost like a 30-minute period every four or five, six hours. Right? So no blocks, no lengthy periods. So if I'm trying to coach a single-handed round-the-world sailor who's going to be at sea for three months on their own in all sorts of types of conditions, and they can only leave the deck to get some recovery as long as all these other factors are in place, otherwise they can't. Then they use that polyphasic approach for a period of time to be able to do that particular thing. They can't go into it thinking, I'm going to get eight hours tonight, but I'm bobbing around in an ocean on a boat on my own. This could be, you know. So children come into the world sleeping polyphasically, you know, the brain is making them sleep for a period of time, stop, fuel up, hydrate, next one, next one. They keep doing that all the time. Then you go to things like, um, you know, pilots, surgeons, nurses, 24-7 workers, 
parents. You know, it's kind of like that's why sleeping monophasic. Now we've done this big shift. We were getting away with it before, and now it's more difficult. And that's the way you shift it, is is using. So mine, I'm a morning chronotype. You know, I never, the alarm never wakes me up. I always switch it off. It's just there for security. I'm absolutely starving. You know, bowel and bladder, mental challenges, loads of light. I'm off, right? Now, I need a 30-minute window late afternoon. Otherwise, I'm going to be in bed at 8 o'clock at night, right? Which I do not want to do in this world. So to make sure I can go through to maybe 11, 12 o'clock at night and have a nice onrushed evening and also be around for you, you PMers who are going to phone me at you know, 11 o'clock at night from another part of the world, is that 30-minute slot there protects my phase three. So I sleep between 12.30 and 6.30 in the morning. That's four cycles and six hours. 30-minute cycle is my fifth one late afternoon. And I just roll with that all the time. And it's not about the quality of sleep that I'm getting. I stopped thinking about that a long time ago because it's its biggest disruptor. The first thing you start to get a, a, a real sort of strong mindset to is you're not in control of your sleep when you're asleep. Right? And the trackers and everything else are trying to have a little bit of a guest some are better than others. We're not anti-tech. We're not anti the trackers. But at the end of the day, what they're telling you is what your brain gave you while you were asleep. So the focus should be on everything you do from the point of wake throughout that whole process of wake. The little things that you're doing to help your brain go through that process. So when you release yourself to sleep and your brain takes over, it's going to try and give you the best quality it can now that's why we don't focus on actual while you're asleep you know if you've got sleep disorders then yes you need to be in a clinic and it needs to be tracked but as any sort of healthy adult just focus on certain things throughout your day which is really important for your brain and to stop asking it to keep adapting because it will because it's brilliant It'll keep adapting, keep adjusting all the time, measuring your behavior. But at the end of the day, you will have consequences. And that will either be burnouts, extra fatigue, anger management, relationships, awareness, decision-making, what you're eating, physical exercise will all become diminished if you're under that fatigued you know, umbrella. Yeah, it's... It's honestly amazing to think about it and even just hearing it from yourself as a as a professional because, yeah, I had no idea as to, you know, the polyphasic sleep cycle or the monophasic sleep cycle. And it's interesting that you mentioned earlier, you know, the world's becoming more connected, the globalization. You have, mm. you know, you have bankers working really late at night in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, you got in America working really late as well. Here, the time differences, it really changes every year, I think. Do you think that there's going to be a bigger push for the um, for the polyphasic sleep cycle going forward with, you know, like you said, the interconnectedness of the world? And do you think, like, for myself, for example, I just work, I work a nine to five. Um, starting from next, I'll be working a nine to five. So sometimes, some late nights, et cetera. So 
how would like one go about trying to maintain that if they already have you know a very rigid schedule and you know try and staying away from the caffeine as a as a midday boost etc like it, it's very interesting i, I I'm, I'm my brain's really running and i'm, I'm very curious as to well, that's it, what it's, think. it's like if if there was an educational uh, process in place around this health pillar called sleep we know from books like Matthew Walker's as a neuroscientist, we know that there's a hell of a lot going on when we go into a sleep state. Rejuvenation, repair, there's mental stuff, brain, cells, joints, this, everything, biological functions. That's why we go into a sleep state, to repair and replenish and rejuvenate, right? That's why we can't last too long without not sleeping. It becomes fatal. So if that education process was there in school, then your parents would know about it. The parents would set you up as you come into the world as a child, as an infant. So you'd have these little... So instead of asking a child to do their homework, because their chronotype says they'd rather do it later in the evening, why are you making them do it first thing in the morning or early evening before they go to bed? You know, Because that's not a natural place for them to be doing that. But you're just putting everybody in the same box. Like in the morning, get up and go to school. The PMers are dragging themselves. You've got two <laughs> children. You've got two children. One of them up, dressed, uniforms on, scoffing breakfast downstairs, can't wait to go. The other one has to drag themselves out of bed. You know, doesn't even, maybe a drink of water at best, chewing on a bar, walking to school. And they all spend most of the morning in a fatigued, almost like, you know, drunken state of being like, oh, I really don't want to be here, right? <laughs> so anything the teacher tells them, anything they do during that first phase of their day, they will only get 10 or 20% of it if they're lucky, you know, because they're just not there. So I think what's, what I think, you know, I hate to mention the world, but we can't get away with it. But there has been a little pandemic thing going on. It has questioned, you know, asked us to decide whether, you know, we're pushing the boundaries too far. We certainly want to keep pushing. We certainly want to enjoy what we've got. It's really exciting, but it's not all good. Right? So, you know, I'm 61 years old now, so half of my life was without a fun, uh, you know, and without that in my world. So I could work nine to five. But when I was, even while I was working, there was loads of opportunities to do nothing because I couldn't fill the gaps. <laughs> now, while I'm waiting for a, a cab, to, an Uber to come and pick me up, to take me down, I can be invoicing, doing podcasts, you know. <laughs> you can, it just, it just fills up all your time and the You're brain right. just yeah. gets clogged, right? So it's not about doing nothing. It's about, just like in sports, okay, so we've got 24-7 sport. We've got multi-channels. We've got the pressures. We've got players and elite athletes and, and famous people under so much more pressure than they ever used to be because everybody's connected, right? So everybody's a journalist. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got tools where they can put donkey ears on my head and I don't even know it's happening, you know, on pictures and stuff. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of tension there. And I think if we just just decided 
that the, the sort of polyphasic approach is not don't get your eight hours. If you only get six, you're going to die. What we're saying is within every 24 hours, 30 odd percent of that 24 hours should be in recovery, a.k.a. sleep. That's 30 odd percent. There's your eight hours. We know that we would get that level of recovery maybe in a biphasic, triphasic way. We also had lots of recovery moments where all we could do was people watch or look at the sky or we're just passing time waiting for something to happen, you know, the next thing to happen. So it's kind of, it's not going backwards because as you would expect, the reason why elite performers like to get involved with this now is because they stop wasting valuable time sleeping without benefits. That is just nonsense for us all, isn't it? They seem to be more productive. They seem to achieve more. They seem to feel happier. They eat better. They exercise better. Because what they've done is put their recovery, a.k.a. sleep, they put their recovery as the main health pillar. And when you put it as the main one, then... Everything you do, you get better results. If it's at the back, then you might be eating healthily. You might be exercising. You might be drinking and fueling up well in all those aspects. But because you're out of sync, you're sort of a bit desynchronized with these natural rhythms, is you're not getting as much out of these things as you would possibly think. So I think for the next generation and you guys is, is let's just keep not making it up. Let's just keep redefining it for ourselves using the basic principles that there are two things that if they ever change, will have a significant uh, effect on our ability to live on this planet. If the sun stops going around our planet, we're in big trouble, right? Big trouble, right? Now, the sun doesn't have any relationship with human behavior. It simply rolls around the planet. It creates shifts, light, dark, and temperature shifts. It creates the seasons. It creates all sorts of things. And we are literally on this planet. And unlike everything else, everything else just goes with that flow. Human beings continue to create things that are not about human performance. Like daylight saving time, which we were talking about earlier, you know, Seasonal shifts of changing the clots, it only affects 68% of the population. Most of the world don't do it. That's why it's called seasonal affective disorder. You know, we change our relationship with light. And then we also have things like technology. We also have um, other factors that we bring in about changing diets and changing this and following these habits and completely ignoring everything and thinking we can do it. So the one thing I say to everybody is you are a human being. You have a brain and bodily functions. They are coordinated and synced to the sun rolling around this planet, which controls our planet. And as long as you keep creating things that desynchronize yourself with that process, and you don't try and do anything to try and help that process, basically you're heading towards chaos. And... That's why we should be the most, the healthiest, most knowledged human population that's ever been on this planet with what we have today. And why is the subject sleep being talked about? 
why is there so much concern about mental health and well-being and all of the other aspects around it, anxiety and stress and burnout and all this sort of stuff. So we are a pretty healthy population, but you can you can clearly see something's not right. Yeah. There's something not right here. And I think, you know, I can't talk on behalf of the technology in the world today, but what I do know listening to lots of people is that we're creating things that are really exciting and are absolutely amazing, but at the same time can be quite scary and dangerous. And we're not quite sure where those sort of lines cross. So it is a nice time, I think, for any organization to sit back and go, you know, within your businesses, is if you're a if all of your staff and your employees and everything else, if they're all nighttime chronotypes, you shouldn't be running a morning type business. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and just a little bit of help, you know, for for all of you is it could be a lamp, you know, put out the right light to create the right levels of serotonin to keep that synchronization process going. It could be other little things about what time they do this and what time they do that. Yeah. So you can't change the world and its schedules. But you can certainly adapt to be part of that world and keep the impact positive and minimize the negative. Nick, is it possible that some people just are born with worse sleep than others? Because my sleep is pretty bad when I'm looking at my aura ring score. I've given my ring to my family members and their scores are amazing. And I've done everything from like using, you know, blue light blocking glasses. My screen is now red because it's nighttime. I have like these, the bed jet that cools underneath my bed. I have the, um, the thing that cools on top of my bed. I have like a red lamp before I sleep. I eat at 6 p.m. Um, I try not to use my phone at 8 p.m. I do all these things and my sleep is pretty mediocre. Like I'm hovering around 70 score. I'm getting one hour of REM, one hour of deep. But my siblings, they're crushing it without even trying. Mm. So siblings, how old are they? Um, one is... Um, so I'm 22, so 20, 19, um, both females. My mum is uh, late 50s. Her sleep is also better than me as well. Yeah. So I'm sure you've asked them the question, how do they do it? Um, and they don't have a response. Like they just go sleep when they, yeah. So it, it just it's just happening, isn't it? Yes. And previously they were just, sleeping like everybody else. Then you're able to get a little tracker, which, which is giving some guidance, but it's about accelerometers. It's about movement. It's about pulse. It's not taking brainwave patterns from the frontal lobe of your brain, right? So it's kind of suggesting that's what's happening, right? And the two things can happen is that if, you know, how many times maybe do they wake up in the morning and don't feel refreshed and don't feel they've slept well, but the, the tracker says otherwise. You know? So I think you've got two things that's going on. One is you are worried about your sleep. Um, you're worried that your siblings 
do it absolutely fine, but they can't tell you how to do it, which is really annoying. <laughs> isn't yes. it? Really annoying. You're trying to do so many things, not in isolation, but they are really, isn't it? It's like cooling here, a light mm. over there, or this, that. They're all little things like that. When so all those are contributing to making it more difficult for your brain to take you into what is the most vulnerable place you're ever going to be as a human being, and that's in a sleep state. Because in deep sleep, the REM, the non-REM, I could come into your bedroom and you wouldn't even know I was there. In the lighter sleep stages, I wouldn't even get through your front door. So it's this business about, as human beings, we are actually designed to be sleeping outside with the natural circadian rhythms, being woken up by daylight, moving through to midday, moving through to sunset, going through this process, being more controlled by the brain and that circadian rhythm, right? So all that's probably happened is you're just a little bit out of sync, right? And if I, you know, whether you like camping or going out into the mountains, I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you'll certainly be aware that if you take your tent and a bit of foam and a sleeping bag and no security, it's just polythene and a zip, and you wander <laughs> out into the mountains, yeah? Wander out into the mountains. You've got no fancy bedrooms. You've got no blue blockers. You've got no screens <laughs> with red on it. You've got nothing cooling. Basically, what happens very quickly is you rise with the temperature shift and the light coming into your tent. You'll have some breakfast and fuel up and hydrate a little bit. You'll certainly make the most of the first part of your day into midday, and you'll fuel up again and have a little bit of a recovery. You know, just have a little chill for a bit before we set off again, trying to make most of the light until it sets. And then we'll be round the fire in melatonin land, having a bite to eat. The melatonin will take over, and then we'll curl up on the floor in the tent, get some sleep, and off we go again. And life is not that bad, is it? You know, that whole sort of mental concept of it is what it is. I can either make it worse or try and make it better. Which one do you want to go down? And I think that lovely thing of understanding, that's what starts to happen. So all I would look for in your world is trying to put some of those little things back into your everyday approach, okay? Tiny little things that might make... I mean, here, make the store to my... There is a desk lamp. Yes. Okay? Now, that desk lamp is piling out 10,000 lux, uh, which is basically, you know, which I can explain, but, but lux lumens is measuring light, so it's blue light, it's 10,000 lux, and that'll, while I'm sat here in my office, you know, every every 90 minutes, I'll get a little hit of that because I want that will keep my serotonin level up and everything else functions in every single way. So it's little things like that is your relationship with light. But um, I had a bunch of young people, young athletes, and everybody's talking about blue light's bad for you and, you know, blue blocker glasses and it, you know, it stops you sleeping and they're all getting panicky about this blue light because it's really dangerous. And I went, look, let's go back to step one. Yeah. When the sun rises, it's got this blue light in it, in daylight. 
And that blue light hits a pineal gland in your brain, creates serotonin, which unsuppresses everything and makes you fully active in every single way. Without that, you're a diminished person. You know, you're undercharged. You need to be careful, right? So we need that light. So let's get a little free light meter down onto your phone through the app store. Put a little dial on your phone and just uses the camera. And it's not scientific at this stage, but I just want you to get a relationship with what's happening here, right? So there's the dial. And here I am sat in my office and you guys, yeah? And I'm looking at the phone and it's called a little free lux light meter. And it's saying that I'm sitting in 50 lux. Where the phone is and me, it's 50 lux. If I move it closer to this light, it's gone up to like 8,000 lux. If I move a little bit further back in the room, it's gone down to 10 lux. Now, what we know is that as a human being outside, daylight produces anything up to 80 to 100,000 lux. It's not dangerous, but that's what it does. And if you're a human being wandering around outside, your average exposure would be around 10,000 lux. So from the morning into the midday, because you're looking up, looking down, there's clouds and trees, the amount of that lux entering you would be about 10,000 lux, right? over that first two phases of your day. So if you think every 90 minutes or every hour, however you want to look at it, I need to have at least an average of maybe a thousand lots, right? To sort of try, so sometimes I need to be exposed to much higher levels of lots to balance the lower levels. So if I'm sat in my office here now, I've been talking to you now for, you know, getting on for an hour, and all I've got my lamp there I'm still back here, right? So I've been sitting in 50 to 100 lux for an hour. Now that means I'm just producing melatonin, right? That is actually trying to suppress me. Now I can override this because I'm talking to you guys, right? And try to keep that stimulus up. But the more I keep talking, which I've been trying to do while I've been talking to you now, is I overemphasize, waffle, look for clarity, always sort of questioning did they understand this and did so what you do is you spend a lot more time on it's that that and that so that's melatonin land creating this place for me now if i switch that lamp on i can raise it up right just for a few minutes or it is pretty dark out there but if i just go closer to the window which is less than an arm's width from where i'm set it's nearly three thousand lux within less than a meter that's just a window, piece of glass between me and the outside into my garden. So here's 50 lux. By that window is 3,000 lux within less than a meter. And if I just put the phone outside, open the window and put it outside, it could be nearly 60 to 70,000 lux even on a dark day today. So within a meter of where I'm sat, I could be sitting or moving around in 60, 70,000 lux with all of that blue light energy, creating serotonin, making sure I am fully functional as a human being. Or I could sit here. And this puts me under pressure. And like some of the questions you've been asking about how do you manage a chronotype? How do you deal with a polyphasic approach? Well, just imagine there's the football squad and we've identified their chronotypes, right? So we give every... Yeah, every nighttime chronotype 
a daylight lamp to wake them up in the morning right? to get that light going because they need help. We put lamps in the training ground. They're just there, but they're putting out the right type of light to keep the serotonin levels up, to keep everybody awake. So the tactics from the manager in his, in his meetings in the morning, we know that most people are getting it. Yeah, We send a little text to all the nighttime chronotypes, even after the tactical meeting, just reminding them that what the manager said this morning, this morning was 2 plus 2 equals 4. Because all the morning chronotypes got that. Two plus yeah. two equals four. But the night timers kind of, yeah, of course it's two plus two equals four, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? I'm sure it was. You know, there's a sort of, so you kind of, you can help the process. You can start to take, so if you've got an imbalance, I know where I'm sat here, it's melatonin land. Right? This is suppressing light. Right? So if I stay here, my brain will just take over. You can fall asleep behind the wheel of a car or a truck on a motorway or autobahn. That's nuts. Absolutely nuts. But what happens is, in the right space in the day, with the visualization and sound, however you're trying to distract yourself, your brain will just go, ah, ah, micro sleep, boom. Yeah. Even in a fatal situation like that. You've got the graveyard slot in business for anybody who's been around long enough. And that's lunchtime. You have a strategy meeting at one o'clock. And most of the people in the room are not with you because they've just, they've just left the room. They're still awake. You can see they're awake because they're conscious, but they can't hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? You've hmm. just gone into that little slump. So what it is is going, well, this is amazing. If I can take advantage of these things. So if I get an hour for lunch, 30 minutes in a CRP land, 30 minutes fueling up. The afternoon, I'm going to smash it. You know? But if I don't, I'm going to have to drag myself through. So it's trying to sometimes, you know, as coaches, is if you want somebody to do something, the last thing you do is tell them to do it. What you do is you take them on a little journey. And when they wander along that little journey, that's where they end up. Right? So it might be Let's tackle blue light and light. Let's turn it into a real advantage here because I don't need blue blockers. I don't need to be worried about blue light. I take full advantage of how beneficial it is for me. And if I have a nice 24-hour balance with my relationship with light, I don't need to be worried about anything. Because if you've been in melatonin land all day and then you put blue, blue blockers on and protect yourself from any... All you're doing is creating an imbalance. So it makes it even harder. You know? Big old answer to your question, but that's, you know, it, it start, it's trying to have these conversations with as many people as possible that it's, it's a really natural process. It should be natural. You shouldn't have to worry about it. You shouldn't have to be, you know, maybe tracking it or all sorts of stuff. You know, we will. We love it. If you can't measure it in sport, we don't do it. But there is already a medical term for the anxiety and stress that's increased by people waking up in the morning and their tracker says this. <laughs> they still have to go to school. They still have to go to work. They still have to fly planes. It will never be a performance criteria where you would not do what you're supposed to be doing today 
just because of the information from your tracker, right? It's yeah. just not going to happen, is it? Right? So we're a long way off a particular place where you could actually say, I'm not coming to work today, or I'm not opening the shop today, or I'm not being a surgeon today because my tracker said I only got 2% deep sleep. That ain't going to happen. Right? So mm. that's why the focus should always be on what you do from the point of wake. And there's lots of misguided bits of information. Get blackout blinds. That'll help you sleep. Yes, but it also stops light coming in, which yeah. means it's difficult to wake up if you haven't got daylight. So you need a dawn wake simulator and blackout blinds, or don't close the curtains if you want to use light to wake you up naturally. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of things in isolation that tend to become counterproductive in isolation because they're trying to say, yeah. well, that must be the right thing. That must be the right thing. So I just remind everybody, if I take you into the mountains, we'll be sleeping for fun. <laughs> We're peaceful, deep sleeping for fun all the time. Just really quickly, I just wanted to throw this in as well before, obviously, you do need to head off. Um, you mentioned that, you know, we're not at the stage yet where multinational conglomerates and just huge organizations um, or like, you know, small business owners, we're not at the stage yet where, you know, they can shut shop or they can, you know, text in saying, hey, sorry, I didn't get enough sleep today. I need to, you know, take a day off and rest, etc." And slowly, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes in what we do every day to day. You know, you're seeing Andy talking about how he does these small little increments um, in his schedule to assist him in sleeping at night. Do you think that we will eventually get to a stage? Because um, like you're saying, like the sleep science has evolved so much in the past two decades. Do you think we will eventually get to a point where it will be recognized by these huge companies where, you know, they will try and put in clauses, not clauses, but like um, consideration for sleep um, schedules of their employees, et cetera, in terms of, you know, how they perform in their day-to-day -day activities. Do you think, have you seen, have you heard any talk about that in the industry? Oh, yeah, have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. it? Do you think you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a, a shift and, and sometimes sport uh, can, can show the way. So some of the organisations yeah. like Manchester City and, and, and cycling teams and all sorts of things, New Zealand, rowing squad, Olympics in Japan, you know. So there's lots of things that you can do in this area, but companies have been reminded, you know, pandemic-wise, um, that there are things that they should be doing around a large percentage with their employee is while they're at work or working, that's one percentage. But over 30-odd even more percentage of their time is away from the workplace or away from their work. Yeah. And they do need to understand and put things in place to not create uh, another intrusive level of judgment, you know, um, that you're underperforming because you can't sleep properly. You know, that's very dangerous in sport. It's always about looking to, to maximize the potential of any person in any particular place. And if you can make subtle adjustments, that can really help somebody. They become more productive. You mentioned, you know, somebody's not going to say, oh, Andy, I didn't sleep well last night. I can't come in. What? <laughs> well, well, you know, what they will say yeah. is, I, I've got diarrhea this morning, so I really don't need to come in and spread it around the office. Right? So yeah. you create 
little excuses. You create little other things that sort of puts it in context. Rather than actually, I'm not sleeping well. That should not be a negative conversation. That should be, well, let's look at what might be causing that. Let's not put everybody in the same box. And let's look at, there's probably something that Andy is doing every morning that's actually creating that at night, right? Because that's not his place. You know? There's things going on there that might be just, well, ticking too many boxes, which means his brain's not happy when he goes into sleep. And you, you've got to, you know, it is a fascinating subject. But like I said, um, we want to be just careful because we've used trackers and some of them are amazing and they do provide information. Uh, they're certainly not going to go away. We'll probably get better at it. But you're on the first step of education here. This is not like exercise and nutrition. This is the first step of education about a massive health pillar. And you, mm -hmm. before you start going, oh, how much REM sleep, oh, this, that, da, 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 da. just, you've got to get some of those fun. It's a bit like, oh, like everybody does in January, don't they? Let's go and join the gym and Jeez. get healthier. <laughs> and let's do this. And, and off you go and you sign up to the gym on your monthly subscription and you wander down to the gym and you've got your, you know, you've got your Lycra trousers on and you've got your, you know, all your sporty gear on and, and on your feet, you've got a pair of high heels. And you're on the treadmill. And there you are, running away in all your fancy equipment in the gym, trying to get some cardiovascular healthy stuff on. And not one person <laughs> has told you the damage that you're doing, doing it in those types of shoes. Yep. So I'm trying to use a really sort of exaggerated thing is that it is a bit like that. We suddenly just, whoa, sleep, track it, do this, blue blockers, bam, 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 bam. And yet you've not even had that conversation of the whole journey of sleeping from the point of when you were born and all of that sort of stuff, circadian rhythms. So when you start having that conversation, suddenly companies start thinking about the lighting in the office space because you can yeah. create circadian rhythms with lighting now right you can think about where somebody sits in an office space by a window or maybe over there or do they switch it from morning to afternoon maybe you look at their tasks you know because telling andy to get that that report in or those set of accounts you know by lunchtime and you've only told him in the morning you're not going to get a piece of good work here. But if you said, can you bring it back by next, by six o'clock tomorrow morning, then he could actually smash it at one o'clock at night, you know, when he knows. So there's a lot of things with that 24-7 where we do see where we're most effective. We can see how we can balance that, we can see how we can protect ourselves from these things. And so absenteeism, burnout, you know, all those little excuses, a healthier workforce, a more productive one, you know, managing the outside influences better so don't have too much impact. Making investments into employees. I mean, thankfully, I'm the only employee in my business now. <laughs> um, but over the years, staff and employees are, by miles, your biggest investment and concern. 
all the time. So I think a lot more people are liking sport is the coach has got the player for maybe 25% training at the club, the games and everything else. They spend far more, much, far more time away from that system. Right? So they would love to get more involved with the private side of that individual to help with their overall thing. So it's a little bit like, don't put up barriers. Don't get everybody a tracker in the business and send the information to the boss. You know, <laughs> that's just going to create mayhem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So as a night owl, when I'm naturally going to sleep at a much later time, if I go ahead and remove sort of my sort of UV blocking curtains, I'm going to be sleeping later, waking up much earlier because light is now going through and it's like a double compounded effect of getting less and less sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, probably a lot of, a lot of uh, experts and professionals go, oh, don't tell Andy to do that. What it is, is there is a process called sleep restriction. Uh, it's used in a lot of clinical disorders for sleep and stuff like that. What happens if, if, you, if you're able to restrict the hours that you allocate to sleep, that changes your habits of while you're awake. What happens is then the brain adjusts and resets. So you wake up early, but you go to sleep later. Once that starts to set, that you sleep all the way through that shorter period of time without disturbances, it's not thinking about the quality, is then you can move back and add another hour and add another hour. So you can start to just reset it. And the quickest way um, that I came up with um, for somebody to do that is simply think about your chronotype. Think about your most consistent start to your day, the time. So... Morning chronotypes tend to have the same consistent wake time as their chronotype wake time, like me. 6.30 occupation, 6.30 is chronotype. A PM chronotype might have to wake at 6.30 with me, but their natural one might be 8 or 9 o'clock, right, if they have full control. So what you do is chop your 24 hours up into 90-minute cycles. So I start with 6.30. So 6.30 into 8, so you get 16 timings. The four phases of the day, 6.30 into midday, into 6.30 in the evening, on into 12 o'clock, and there you go. You've now got a clock. You've chopped it up into 90-minute cycles because if you're in a clinic, that's how long they would measure each sleep cycle. Is They'd look at the data for 90 minutes and then they benchmark it against the next 90 minutes. So as you're going through the first cycle, into the second cycle, into the third and then the fourth and the fifth, your data starts to change, right? About how much REM sleep and how much this and how much that. So five 90-minute cycles is 7.5 hours. Cool. I've got little 90-minute cycles for my CRPs. So I wake at 6.30, focus on challenges, hydration, fuel up, uh, plenty of daylight. I become a sleep coach at 8 o'clock, first 90-minute cycle. Uh, then 90 minutes on from that, a little bit of light stimulus, you know, either outside or here, just to keep the levels up. Right? Get the right way through, 30 minutes to protect my evening. Now, nobody gets in the way of that. You know, any busy person <laughs> goes, I haven't got time to take 30 minutes out in the afternoon. What are you on about? I said, well, 
Once you start doing it, because you're not actually trying to sleep. Is that 30-minute nap equivalent of a 90-minute cycle? It's, it's, if you think of it like that, that's the best place to think of it like that. Right? Rather than trying to explain it isn't, is that 30 minutes, I do nothing. Right? I, if, you do, if you allocate the time every day, every 24 hours, right? never changes. Then what happens is it's a nice little trigger point for my brain. And we uh, that's what we do the first 90 minutes of the day. Every 90 minutes we have a little controlled recovery break. Because if I just look, if I just look that way for a couple of minutes while I'm filling up my water bottle and then just come back and look at you, that's just created slightly different emotional responses, right? Than mm-hmm. watching chaos or problems. Just little tiny things just creates these little tiny recovery breaks, you know? Right. And then the 30 minutes, I will get a nudge. My brain will just go, you know, like the graveyard slot midday. I'll get a little nudge and say, we're likely to microsleep now. So mm. maybe sit on a comfortable sofa or sit on your chair. And I could do it here, right? Gone. Okay. <laughs> so music, sensory stuff, anything, just trying to create no space. In which case, we might microsleep. But you just put the alarm on so you don't run over 30 minutes. Because 30 minutes is 30% of a 90-minute cycle, which is 30, you know, 8 hours, 24. It's all about rhythms, patterns, and harmony. Hmm. So that's why it's 30, so you don't drift. Right? But sometimes it might happen, sometimes it won't. But that's to give my whole evening. So if I wanted five 90-minute cycles in one block, that would be between 11 and 6.30. There's the five 90-minute cycle. But 11's too early for me. Not that 11 is not late at night, but it's too early for me to do what I like to do in the evenings, in an unrushed way. I like to get fresh food. I want to cook the food. I, you know, I like being a cook. I want to know what's in my food. I want a relaxed approach. I've got to get some work done. I've got to send a few emails. I might want to talk to my friend in New Zealand. I not. I might want to go out on the bike or go and have a late swim, you know? I like to enjoy my evening, so I don't want to be rushing around thinking, oh, I've got to get to bed for 11 and get my eight hours. Ugh, no. So I go for a later time, like 12.30. So around that particular area, I present myself to sleep. Brain likes it. It knows what's going to happen tomorrow morning. Loads of light, fuel up, hydrate. Lots of little CRPs for me. Thank you very much. Little 30-minute one late afternoon. Whoa, I'm going to give you some results if you keep this up. So, <laughs> Nick, what is CRP? What does What is CRP? It's a controlled recovery period. Because when you ever look at polyphasic sleeping, what people think of, it's napping. You know, like siestas, having a nap in the afternoon, right? Well, hang on a minute. As soon as I started coaching... You know, athletes and players from from Mediterranean countries, and they're going, well, you can call me at half 12 at night if you want, Nick. Why? It's because I'll be in the restaurant with my family. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the businesses shut down between one and three. Nobody's necessarily going and sleeping. But it is a, a moment in time in that human recovery slot that means you do more in the evenings or you can still wake up early and get stuff done. 
So there's lots of really good examples with your corporate question before about why not? Because it seems to create a wonderful place. So stop using the word sleep. It's about human recovery performance. Stop using terms like naps, you know, and snoozes. You know, no, 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 no. Controlled recovery periods, human recovery performance, and you sleep in cycles. 24 hours rolling, not seven days a week. This is 365 all the time. So how are you going to sleep on Friday night? Don't care. Sunday night, don't care. Monday night, don't care. What is it? I just follow this everyday process, doing everything I can to be really active, really productive, but I'm very conscious about me and my brain and these little recovery moments. And together, we look after it. So when I present myself to sleep and my brain takes over, it gives me the best recovery it possibly can. That's it. You did your best. I did my best. We get the best out of it. So literally, you just stop worrying about sleep. And when you stop worrying about it, amazingly, it starts to take over again and give you exactly what you want. But it's this pressure we put ourselves under. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's two decades and we've got sleep trackers, wind <laughs> blockers, you know, we've got this, we've got that, you know. Yeah. Like you say, we've got, I think it's just, I always like to start with a little journey and it's seven steps. It's called the R90 technique because we're covering 90 minute cycles as an umbrella. And the journey quite simply starts with what knowledge do you have of circadian rhythms? Let's tap it in the browser. Let's just look at certain key things about you and the circadian rhythms and brain. And principally, it's about light, dark, diminished light, and temperature shifts. Easy. Cool. Second one is your chronotype. And you don't have to do a scientific test. You know, you you know what you are inside. You can feel it, can't you? And you, so we get that. In, oh, now we know that. Then we look at chopping the day up into 16, 90-minute cycles. Four phases of the day. Change the process. So we've got little times where we can subconsciously do things, right? Cool. Then we can look at pre and post, right? Pre and post. Concentrate on post-sleep, not pre-sleep. It's too late. Pre-sleep is nothing more than light to dark, bowel and bladder, you know, warm to cool. That's it. Anything else you do is just things you like doing, right? But post-sleep is critical, right? And that is the right amounts of light, hydrate, bowel, particularly bowel, bladder, mental challenges, get yourself humanized and active using that light. So then... We change the emphasis because most people concentrate on pre-sleep. You know, ooh, essential oils, binaural beats, you know, sounds, this, that, okay. read books. You know, they get all of this sort of stuff and it's like, well, it's a little bit late in the day to be thinking along those lines. Some things can help. So the next one is just having a better 24-hour rolling cycle relationship with mental and physical activities and mental and physical recovery activities. They're not doing nothing. It's not like napping. 
is they are mental physical recovery activities as important as your mental and physical activities just so that within your 24 hours you've got a nicer balance between that process bingo number six is your environment some people can choose where they sleep i coach people to sleep anywhere anytime on anything in any place hanging off the side of a cliff in the middle of a desert on an extreme 13-day mountain bike, you know, challenge, whatever it might be, is you can sleep anywhere, right? Look at the population around the planet. They've not all got nice fancy bedrooms and fancy mattresses and all sorts of stuff. Like going to the mountains. You should be able to do this anywhere because we kind of do fall asleep in meetings, behind wheels of cars, on planes, in coaches, you know, sat in the, you know, in front of the fire, types of things, you know. So your environment is dead simple. Try to bring the outside in. Not the cold and the rain and all that, but try to bring that natural environment into your room. Whether you've chosen it, whether you've got an apartment in a city or you're out, you know, in the countryside, whatever it is, just try to imagine taking everything out of your bedroom, in your head, and then putting things back that you think would help you and your brain wander off into those sleep stages as much as possible. And it is about smells. It is about maybe there's a plant in the corner. You know, it is about colors. It is about that whole thing of going, wow. Even pictures on the walls, anything like that, it's sort of making you feel that you are a human being in a natural environment. It's really pleasant and, and that's a good place to start. No big fancy, you know, guarantee you this mattress is gonna change what you do from the point of wake, right? No crazy pillow that claims it can do all of this or any supplements or any other things. You can bring them in to add to your overall approach, but you can't just chuck them in if your overall approach is out of sync anyway. And number seven is quite simply the place where most people go, and that's products. Mattresses, pillows, this, that, you know, found this thing that'll help this, this, all these little things. And at the end of the day, you know, you just need to be able to curl up on the opposite side to your dominant side in a fetal position protecting your heart and your genitals if you're curled up outside and your opposite side to your dominant side is less sensitive so you can lie on that side better it's a natural infant position mm. means you can curl up in that position it's great for posture because you've got the knees slightly bent into the lower back which creates all the mid torso pressure while you're active and sitting and all that sort of stuff so opposite side to your dominant side you should be on a surface that releases really comfortable you know and so you almost don't have a pillow under your head because pillows get in the way because mattresses are made like this you put pillows on top of it and uh, most people mess around with pillows all night long you know going right to the edge of it if they're on the front when it's under yeah. you know under their head when you're on your back <sighs> snorting dry mouth and all that sort of stuff fetal position no pillow if you're on a really hard service surface then just sleep really short periods right 
using that cycle approach. So if I have to put an athlete on the floor to sleep for 20 minutes, then get back on the mountain bike and off they go again, then the floor's hard. So we just do a very short, you know, opposite side to the dominant side, something just under the head, bang, but keep it really short. Right? Yeah. Don't try and sleep for hours on that because it just won't work. Right? So I sleep completely straight. Like, how bad is that? Like, I'm just like a soldier. Uh, on your back? Yes, on my back, straight, arms beside my side, legs straight. Is that like, is that the reason? <laughs> no, it, it's only, it's only, it's sort of like, well, hang on a minute. I've read this about human beings, right? And when we slept outside, um, the brain's very conscious of putting you into a vulnerable sleep state because you are very unsecure, you know? There's no protection, there's animals, there's danger, there's all sorts of things. So basically, curling up on the opposite side to your dominant side is less sensitive because it's normally a hard surface. That means we can lie in that position a little bit longer. You know, backpack under the, you know, rolled up blanket under the head. Genital and heart protected, which is good. Anything really important, I've just tucked it down, down there, you know. <laughs> so if you want to get anywhere near me, you've got to get very close, right? Because otherwise, yeah. so if anything comes near me, what am I going to do? Because I've got my right leg and my right arm to hit you, protect you, <laughs> grab the gun, grab the knife, whatever it is. I, if I'm on the other side, you're going to get a slap because my left hand doesn't do those types of things, right? Mm -hmm. If you're ambidextrous, just the one you're going to hit me with, right? So when you actually look at it, you know, the sort of what's the knowledge about sleeping comes to human beings. It is that, that's why kids curl up in a fetal position. You know, they, they dive on a mattress or dive in it, and they just love it. It's just curl up. We like that position. So on your back, Andy, what you're basically doing is if you're on a very hard surface, like the floor, you'll go to your front in a free fall position or your back trying to spread the weight out. Because right? in a fetal position, it won't do it because you'll get too much pressure. But on your back, normally you'll have something under your head. And that means it blocks that little airway off as the muscles react as you drop down into the deep sleep. And so it makes you know mouth breathing and dry mouth and disturbance. So you try to move out of that. But also, even if you're covered in blankets and duvets, you are literally lying flat on the floor outside, genitals, heart exposed, free to be taken advantage of. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think some people might be giggling away, laughing away, hearing me talk like this. But what I can I tell you realize. is marginal gains, 1% yeah. factors. If you can... The aggregation of marginal gains is something we worked on very strongly with British Cycling and Team Sky as a professional team. And they started winning Tour de France's for fun, winning gold medals, breaking world records for fun on the road and the track, you know, in the period of 2008-9 into 2012, London 2012, right? Now, it is all about if in any area you can improve it in a marginal way, moving from a back sleeping position to a fetal sleeping position, but you need layers to be able to create that. You can't just do it. If you're lying on the floor, 
it'll hurt your shoulders. So, so if you can go along and just go 1% there, 1% there, 1% there, they all aggregate up to an overall increase in performance that's way beyond it. Yeah, I definitely... That's really why you're... It's just a conversation about maybe it's this, maybe it's that. You know, mm. I know there's a lot of things about me that are comforting. They make me feel okay. Not everybody's cup of tea. They're a bit unusual to me, maybe. I don't know. You know, but yeah. I shouldn't ignore those little things, you know? Elite athlete, Olympic, uh, Tokyo Olympics, um, just on his device, he recorded uh, himself reading bedtime story to his two children in the bedroom. It's diminished light. There's just a nightlight there. He's reading a bedtime story. He can hear his children sort of going, Daddy, can you say that again? Whatever. He knows where it is. It's on his device. He's got his pods in. He's sat in a hotel room miles away from anywhere. And how does he, re- how does he create that little bit of vacant mind space for 20 minutes? Just puts those in, listens to that, bang, sorted. You know what I mean? That's more important. And boof. So there's lots of little things we can use technology for, lots of little things, but you need to know why you're using it, how you're using it, and, and what it's there to do within your overall 24-hour process. Then it can have a massive effect. Now, Nick, are you like automatically knocking out 12.30 every day? Like even if like... Because every day is different. Some days you might be exercising. Some day you might have a light bulb moment. It's a, good, it's a good question. And that's why sometimes, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult, you know, even within this space of time because there's so many aspects. But you you start with circadian rhythms and build up that little bit of knowledge, not scientific. The, the chronotype thing, you have a nice little conversation. Like I said, you can't tell somebody to go and do that, but you wander them along. And one of the little things is, right, now you're asking me that question. Right, well, what we've got, we've got 16 times. The one thing we need to do is keep the start to the day consistent, right? Now, yeah. mine's 6.30. So if I wake up at 5.30 or quarter six or five past six, not a problem because I've just woken up in the last cycle, right? Alarm, I start my day at 6.30. So, yeah, that's it. The consistent start to the day is about sunup. This is the sun coming back to lighten up our planet and make it work, right? So the consistent start to the day is what we love as human beings and our brain loves it. Now then, 30-minute cycle late afternoon is there for me to keep a balance to whatever happens. So Andy texts me at 8 o'clock at night, says it's summer, let's get the mountain bikes out, And let's go and do 10K. And then we'll have a bite to eat. And I'm going, that's fine. I've just had a little 30-minute cycle. Didn't go to sleep, but that's what it's there for. I won't get back, you know, whatever time we get back. I want to go enjoy this. It's a great day. I don't want to be running around trying to get back. So if, if we get back about 11, well, that's 90 minutes before 12.30. So I've got plenty of time to come down from being out bike riding, if I've eaten anything or drunk anything, plenty of time to process, absolutely fine, chill out and target 12. If we get back at half 11, 
Meanwhile, now I could just, you know, rush upstairs, brush my teeth and dive into bed because I should be asleep around 12-ish, you know. <laughs> or I just chill out and go for 2 o'clock, right? And I go for 2 o'clock and just, you know, not five cycles, not four cycles, but three cycles. And I'm happy because, I, I, you know, rushing rushing into sleep when things have changed, this is how we adapt around, you know, nobody's seven days just works like that in a nine-to-five way. It just doesn't do it. So what we're looking for is 35 cycles in a week. Right? Five a day. Mm, five a day, seven could a week. Be four, yeah. Could be four cycles back-to-back at night plus the 30-minute cycle, which is not seven and a half hours, but with all the other little CRPs, it adds up. Soon, like, yeah, there could be eight, nine little CRPs just for a couple. Nobody even knows what's going on, so we start to look at that. So it could be, you know, 20, 28 back to back 90 minute cycles nocturnally, uh, balanced with seven 30 minute cycles late afternoon. Right? So now I've got some structure, and if it moves around a little bit as the week progresses, you know. I'm, I'm still okay because next week won't be like that or the few days after that won't be like that you know so just don't worry about it and 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 you just slot them in you don't try and put more cycles in if you lose them it's about that really positive mindset about this process is if you just get three cycles tonight but you had a more positive way in you enjoyed what you did which is positive so that's good Start the day at the same time, same stuff in the morning, bang, 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 bang. And just maybe if it's getting a little bit tricky, I'll do a 30-minute cycle midday and my 30-minute cycle late afternoon. I'll just slot one in, right, because it's just a bit shifty, right? So that that's, that's the way you sort of wander through and deal with it. It's just a really subconscious thing rather than saying, Andy, I'm sorry, but I can't come on the bike ride. I can't come and enjoy this human social activity because I've got to get home to get my pre-sleep done, get my blue blockers on, get this done, get that done. (laughs) And I need to be in bed by 11 to get my eight hours, my five cycles. So that it constantly sort of creates even further, you know, pressures that don't want to be there. So, I think what it does, you handle negative things better and you handle positive things better. Yeah. And that's really what puts a smile on your face. Like, I don't care how I'm going to sleep tonight because it, it all I'm doing is going through my day, isn't it? And at some point, somebody might go, come for dinner. Go, yeah, I'm coming for dinner. What time? 10 o'clock. I'm Spanish. Oh, no, no. I've got to get my eight hours. So I don't want it to sound like sleep's not important. Of course it is, but I think we've we've uh, we've got to a point now that I really hope the next generation will keep defining this thing. And most of my clients would like me to come up with some sort of technique where they can get all their recovery in about twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, instead of spending all this time sleeping. Can't we just do this quicker, Nick? And so, well, let's just try and make it feel as though we're doing it quicker. Yeah. And if we feel like we're doing it quicker, 
in a bit more of a positive way. I mean, not wasting time doing it because that's, I think that's what, you know, without putting words in your mouth, Andy, but that's, you know, if you wake up every day, crack on, get to a particular point, you already know that your sleep's not going to be that good. You're almost predetermining the aura tracking thing, saying that you're not as good as your siblings. So it's already sort of putting that, do I actually like doing this? So I always find that a little bit fascinating. That Do I like going to bed? Well, it's a comfortable place to watch television. <laughs> watch Netflix. It's a great place to be. You know, it's comfortable. It's private. Get away from the kids. You know what I mean? It, it's sort of like, yeah, I like going to bed. It's great. Sunday mornings, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the, the principle of, of sleeping is just... I, I just want to be able to sleep as naturally as I possibly can, wherever I am, not not just in that bedroom. So I think once you get to that place, it's amazing. And then, like, when you say that it's important to wake up the same time every single day, does that mean if you naturally wake up at 6.15, you're going to take a 15-minute nap until 6.30? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's again, it's like that... Um, when you've chopped your day up into 16 cycles, 90 minutes, blah, blah, blah. then when you look at circadian rhythms, you will notice that if you're naturally synchronized, um, then deep sleep is normally revealed between around 10 o'clock at night and 2 a.m. in the morning, right? Because we put a clock on it. Then what that tells you is, is the sun rises, brings blue light in and wakes the planet up, including us, right? That's the start to the next cycle. But the sun disappears in the evening or late afternoon, depending on whether we mess around with the clocks. Now, we're still active, right? So the sun's gone. So we don't have a sunset end to the day. It's a sunset. The sun's gone away, but then we remain active in the third phase. So that's why sunrise is the kickstart to your day. And if you can't follow because the sun might rise at four o'clock in the morning, depending on where you are. You don't want to be woken up at four o'clock. So that's why you have a consistent start to your day. So you will wake in that final cycle. Because right? what happens, as I said before about measuring in 90-minute cycles, let's do the 5, 11 o'clock into 6.30, for example. So between 11 and 12.30, what will be happening is the drowsiness, the light sleep stages, if you've had a pretty hectic day or whatever it might be or what you've been eating and stuff like that, you might go into a little bit of deep sleep, right? The brain will grab some and you'll go through it. So then you get to 12.30. And 12.30 to 2.30 is probably where we're going to see uh, you get your 20 to 25% REM deep sleep, right? Because it'll just have the first cycle that side just and then rolls into there, right? So we'll see it appearing between 12.30 and 2, right? From 2 o'clock, all we'll see is you in light sleep, right? Because it's the morning, Andy. Just because it's dark, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, does that differ between... After midnight. The sun is on its way back, right? So it's set down here at 6 o'clock. It's wandered off all over the place. Now it's coming back. So 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock is all about the light and the temperature is starting to shift 
as the sun is about to hit your horizon and liven up your postcode, your internal circadian rhythms, and your chronotype. Bang. That's when you should be doing it, right? So when you start looking at it like that, you could suddenly start to see why all of these rhythms and patterns start to make such a difference to the, the quality of sleep that you get. So by the time, as long as I get into the final cycle, which is between 5 and 6.30, if I naturally wake up, wake up earlier, then I will just stay in a chill-out mode. Right? I won't try to overstimulate myself, like get to work or start going to the gym early because you'll resync it. So if I wake up 5.30, just chill out and wait for 6.30. Right? Don't try to... You just happen to wake a bit earlier. Do you chill out in your bed? Are you just lying in your bed? Or have you gotten out of the bed? I just lie in my bed or, or if I felt, you know, I might feel absolutely wide awake, but I might go to another room and okay. chill out, you know? Not putting on all the lights, not switching on all the technology. Uh, you know, I just go to another room and just chill out for a bit until I got closer to 6.30, right? Not making it too scientific, right? If I woke up at, say, half past three, a lot of people wake up and feel wide awake around two or three o'clock in the morning. That's because of that natural circadian rhythm that we would start to become active in that polyphasic approach in past times from around two o'clock onwards. Because it's actually, it's not just about a nocturnal one block. The actual rhythm of the 24 hours is more like if you're in a sleep state, you know, in, in any part of that sort of 10 till 2, 3 a.m. area, that's when you're likely to get deep sleep. There's no point trying to get deep sleep after 3 o'clock because it, it's not going to naturally reveal itself. So then you can shift it for night shift workers, multi-shift workers. You've got the same clock. You've got the same timings, but you actually sleep in the right moments of that 24-hour clock if you're a night shift worker or multi-shift worker or athletes with very hectic schedules is you can shift it around so it works whatever you're doing doesn't matter it works for everybody nick does that mean or do you change your schedule based on the season based on when the sun rises or is it always 6 30 a.m all year round all year round can, obviously, it, it's kind of nice as a morning chronotype that both things fit. And when you said about nighttime chronotype, if, if I you know, shoved you on an island with complete control, then you might want to wake up at 8, 9 o'clock is a more natural time for you to start your day and breakfast at you know, between 9 and 10. But that's not what happens. So you're always dragging yourself into the world, but you can help that process. So when you start to to get a little bit more conscious about those sort of things, you become much better at, instead of trying to alter all the schedules around you, you start to make little adjustments that you are in control of. Right? So if you'd have asked me to do a podcast with you, and it happened to be around 4.30, 5 o'clock today. Unfortunately, that slot's already been taken. 
Have you got another slot, Andy? Hmm? So it's kind of, if you value yourself and you understand we're only here for a short period of time and you value your time and you value your health and your well-being and everything else, then there is a person who's made an appointment with me today at 4.30, or it could be 5 or 5.30, because it's not specific, but it's in that area, right? And that is my brain. It's a little moment for me and my brain. And if I can't make that important, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So that's yeah. why it becomes... So suddenly what happens is, if, I, if I'm walking through an office building, I'll turn right, not left. If I can see, I can get to the same place by going right or left. If right's by the windows, I'm going to get a 3,000 locks hit while I'm walking past them. If you wanted a little chat about how was the football match last night by the, you know, by the, I'm going to, you know, hydration with a bit of water, then I will always sort of move you towards the window rather than not. If somebody says, would you like to sit here? I go, do you mind if I sit there? You know? If somebody says, here is your workstation, I go, thank you very much. Do you mind if I buy myself a lamp? Because it's quite, you know, the light level here is not good enough. Can I get myself a lamp? So tiny little things, right? And we've been now, right, you're, you're coming up to two hours here, right? Now, you can probably hear that sometimes I'm losing track of what I'm trying to say to you, Right? This is exaggerating the point. We've got loads of space in our days. We can get everything we want done and even more, but we have to be conscious that I should have said to you at least half an hour ago that I need to go to the toilet. Can we resume again in five minutes? Now you can either tell me I can't go to the toilet, which you're not going to do, but you'll allow me to go to the toilet and come back. And within those three or four minutes, I've not even gone to the toilet. I've just walked into the kitchen, looked out <laughs> into the garden, had a glass of water, created a different visual CRP, come back, and now I go, guys, bang, 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 let's bring this podcast to a close. You've had enough. Or, or I should be charging you for any more. Bang, shut it down, go. Right. So you start to create these little subconscious things that, Sometimes you might think that I'm a really good listener. Or maybe I've just vacant spaced out on you. <laughs> not, and you're not spotting it, right? You know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. I'm, just, maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'm just taking the time. Well, you know, you know so it, I, think the, I think when it becomes obvious to anybody else what you're doing, then you're probably not doing it right because you shouldn't have to be telling someone, oh, I need to take a two-minute CRP break. Right? Yeah. It just, it just happens. You shouldn't be able to, yeah. I need to get this amount of light. I'm looking for it all the time or I've got something. I've got some little human chargers that go in like these AirPods and they put the light in through the ears. So I could wander around all day, you know, oh. managing my light. Yeah, so... And that 30-minute window, you know, if you haven't just say, like, sleep pods in offices, I I don't like sleeping with other humans. You know, <laughs> I've got a partner. I've had 
previous partners. I've got five grandkids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I want to go to sleep, I'll turn away from them, curl up in my little fetal position, and I want to see you again. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like going to the gym to do napsercise classes where people pay to lie on beds in, inside their local gym to have a nap with other people snoring and snorting and flatulating and talking and singing. You know, no, 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 no. Sleep pods, go in the recovery room. No, 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 no. I, you just need, it's almost like my radar, wherever I am, is always out. Oh, there's a little spot. There's a little spot. There's a little spot. I can see that chair behind you, Andy, with the the sheepskin thing. It's, oh, there's a little spot. You know what I mean? You sort of go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And even I can have a, it doesn't sound very good, but I'll say it anyway. I could have a 30-minute CRP sat on the loo. Yeah. yeah. The no, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily a public toilet. <laughs> you know? But, you know, in the offices, anywhere else, you know, tea towel over your head, headphones on. You're not worrying. On the loo. That it might make it difficult for you to nap at night. Like if you do a CRP at 10 p.m., are you worried that, hey, it might be hard for me to fall asleep tonight? No, no. Maybe I'm not uh, not clear on that. The, the two periods is midday and late afternoon, okay? Got it. You do... A 30-minute or 90-minute midday, because it's a longer period, like between 12 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the siesta area. It's a slightly longer period. So you could do 30 minutes or full 90-minute cycle midday. The late afternoon is always 30 minutes, but you don't go beyond late afternoon. So once you start getting close to 6 o'clock, you kind of think, I've missed it, right? It didn't happen today. I've missed it. You don't slot it in randomly. (laughs) Got it. Thank you so much, Nick. I, I really, really appreciate your time. I have so many more questions, um, but I really appreciate your time today. I learned so much. I think the key takeaways is I'm going to really listen to myself more, get more tribal, get more sort of natural and just sort of listen to what my body's telling me and just go with the flow. So I appreciate that insight. Yeah, it sounds simple, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You should read or listen to my book. I'll get it. I'm help. buying the R- R9. So it's just it's it's on Audible as well. So you, you, I actually narrated the book as well. Uh, it's only a little book. Didn't take you long. But the R90 technique is woven into that in a very easy read. Not clinical, not science. It's just yada, 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 yada. yada. And uh, so I listen to it. But it's also, it's in uh, 17 languages now. They're wow. all there. That's amazing. Again, Chinese, Japanese. Portuguese. And where are you most active on, Nick? Where else? What other places can people learn more from you, Nick? Uh, sportsleepcoach.com. So I, if you tap Nick Little Hales in your browser, you'll find me uh, because of my celebrity clients. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sportsleepcoach.com. There's podcasts, TED Talks, blogs. There's an audible course, you know, less than 20 bucks. But just a 10-step little course. The book, you can get, you can make some real progress. Thank you again, Nick. Yep, have yeah. to go. The door's yeah. been knocked on now. <laughs> That's okay. Thank, thank you, Nick. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. guys. Take Keep care. in Bye. touch. <laughs>